All right, good morning, Dorisville family. It's so good to have you with us this morning as we worship the Lord God. And whether you're watching on Facebook Live or on the radio or later on YouTube, we are so glad that you could join us today. You know, I know I said this last week, but I want to say it again. I hope you could sense the passion of the worship. David and the crew did a wonderful job. I thank God every week for our worship team and for our technology folks that come every week and make this possible. So God bless you guys. But today was just especially good. It really was. I could almost see like every song we sang. I could see it at the big contest between Elijah and, and the prophets. And these songs just screaming the power and majesty of God. And watching the, the prophets of Baal just melting away. It's just incredible. So I really hope you could sense it and that you could feel it. God is so incredibly good. Well, can you believe this? We're in week number five of Days of Elijah. It's going by so quickly. Today's sermon title is entitled, When God Wins. When God Wins. And I want to take off the analogy of of sports. You know, back in 2016, um, the Cubs, are you ready? The Cubs won the World Series. It's amazing. For the first time in like 500 years. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, maybe maybe it was only a hundred and some years, but it was a long time. But for all that time, and finally the Cubs won. And and not only you know Cub fans are like family, and so not only did Chicago go nuts, and not only the state of Illinois go nuts, but everyone went nuts. And there were Cubs fans. They just couldn't believe it finally happened. And here's the deal: when the team wins, the city wins. When the team wins, the city wins. It's just a deal. And whether it's hockey or whatever it is, you watch. We won. We won. We won. No one was on the field that's saying we won. But when the team wins, the city wins. And I want you to know something. You know, when God, when God wins, the church wins. When God wins, the church wins. It's a very, very powerful thing. But here's the spoiler alert. God wins all the times. God, God does not know defeat. God does not know failure. God wins all the times. You know, someone said this. They said, you know, find where God is. Find where God is and get behind what he is doing because he always wins. He always wins. Find out what God is doing. It almost sounds like Henry Black would be what it was. That find where God is and get behind what he is doing because he always wins. If you want to be part of a winning combination, always be on, on crew, on team with God. It's that vitally important. Now, I know, I know, you know, again, you know, the song says, these are days of Elijah, days of peril, okay? These are hard days. These are hard days. Got to confess, you know, it's been difficult for me the last couple of days. I just, I just get overwhelmed saying, God, is there ever going to be an end to this? And I don't think I said this, but someone did that's watching today. You know, you're sitting there going, you know, okay, is God really in control? I mean, is there really a such thing as the sovereignty of God? Is there really such thing as God is in control? You know, man, A.W. Tozer, and I do not even know the circumstances to which he said this, but listen to what A.W. Tozer said. When it looks like, when it looks like things are out of control. Can I have an Amen. Does it not look like things are out of control? When it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes, there is a God, get ready, there's a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. Now listen, I don't, I don't care how, now first off, I, you probably need this tonight. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible makes it very clear. Paul states that all authority is given by God. All authority comes from God. But what you need to know is, is that God has not surrendered his authority. He is still in control, no matter how out of control that it looks. God is 
in control. And certainly Elijah needed to hear those words that day. And certainly we need to hear that word even today. So let's go back to last week real quick. As I remember, we, we left Elijah standing there. He had confronted Ahab and all those things. And he's standing there looking at the people. And here's what he said. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? And you know what happened? Do you remember? The people didn't say a word. They just stood there like, you know, kicking the dirt, you know, whatever, you know. Not a word was spoken. And that's where we left it last week. The people of God sitting there. How long, Elijah says, will you waver between two opinions? And they just let their silence speak. And you remember what Harvey Cox said? To not decide is to decide. To not decide is to decide. So then we pick up in verse number 22 of 1 Kings 18. We jump into now the scripture and we jump in right where it left off last week. Here's what it says. The Bible says, then Elijah said to the people. Elijah said to the people. Now, there's something really important here, and that's this. That God, I'm sorry, that Elijah, speaking for God, but but Elijah did not speak to the prophets of Baal. You see that? He speaks directly to the people. Now, what's significant about that? What's significant about that is this. This is really, this is really not a contest. The contest is not about the prophets of Baal and even Elijah. You know what this is about? This is about God, Elijah, and his people. God, Elijah, and his people. The reason Elijah speaks to the people, and you're going to see, and in, in, in chunk in the middle of the sermon, you're going to see that the prophets of Baal are not major players. In fact, let me just say it this way. The prophets of Baal and the, and the prophets of Azur, okay, uh, 850 total, are minor players on a losing team. They're minor players. Ahab, have you noticed? Now, Ahab will show up later in the story, but Ahab is not there now. You know why? He's a minor player. This is all about Elijah, God, and his people. So Elijah then speaks to the people and says this, I am the only prophet, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord. Now, now let me say, at this point, first off, at this point, he doesn't know about the 7,000 that God's got hidden away. He, he is the only prophet present. All right? That's really what he's saying. But there's also something else he's saying. He's saying this. I'm the only one. Now, there's danger when you start thinking, I'm all by myself. You know, all by myself. I want to be all by myself. Well, Elijah that day, as he stood there, and over here are 400 cheerleading prophets of Ezra. Over here are 450 prophets of Baal. Somewhere in the mix of the crowd is, is Ahab, okay? And then all these Israelites are going, oh, I wonder, you know, you know, and not a word. And he goes, I'm the only one. Listen, there is great, listen carefully. There is great danger today of something. It's that feeling of isolation. It's that feeling of isolation. The one thing that we really, really, really miss is being together. It's not, it's not just coming to church. You know, what you're feeling most likely, what you're feeling you know, day in and day out, particularly on Sundays, you're feeling that isolation. You're feeling, I want to be with the people of God, and I can't be with the people of God. That's the, that's the fallacy of driving church. If you do it right, you're sitting in your car waving at somebody in somebody else's car. Okay, what we're craving is fellowship because that's how we're made. 
We, we are the body of Christ. We function together as the body of Christ. So be careful. However you can, make sure you do not isolate yourself. Whether it be with your family, whether it be with friends. And by the way, I'm going to spill my guts. Are you ready? It occurred to me that the government right now says that we can have gatherings of ten. Amen? Is that right? Do I understand it right, Brent? Have you all ever heard of house churches? Did you know there is nothing preventing you from gathering on Sunday morning with 10 of your friends or 9 of your friends or 8 of your friends? How many families there are? How many members there are to have a house church right there? That you can gather on Sunday morning and have church and then watch church with us? There's nothing stopping that right now. And you guess how they did church? Guess how they did church in the early days? They did house churches. They didn't house churches. So listen, we can do this and we should do this because we don't want to become isolated. We end up like Elijah saying, I am the only one. There's great danger in isolation. Now, he says, here's me and here is them, the, the prophets of Baal, 450 men. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, I told you last week, I told you, you know, the fact that the, the odds seem wacky. Okay, you know, 450 to one. But again, when God is on your side, <laughs> you got the odds, man. You got the odds. The, the odds are always in favor of the child of God. The odds are always, come on, someone say amen. The, the odds are always in favor of the child of God. Don't ever forget that. And then I tag this in on that teaching point. The odds are always in favor of the child of God who stands in the shadow of the Almighty. Who stands, you know, when you're, if you will, imagine you're standing here and you see this shadow being cast over you. And that shadow is the shadow of the Almighty. It's the shadow of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's, it's the shadow of the risen God. It's the shadow of the Redeemer, Rescuer, Savior named Jesus Christ. How powerful is that? And, that, and those words come from Psalm 91.1. Listen to this. The one who dwells, the one who lives under the, under the protection of the Most High. And I love the King James here because it says, the one who, who dwells uh, in the secret place, in the secret place of the Most High, dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. You know what? Have you figured it out yet? If, if God knows and cares when one hair falls from my head, you think he cares about me? Now, that'd be a Yes. If God knows and cares when a sparrow falls from the sky, do you think he cares about me? Uh, that would be a yes. That would be a yes. So, so we need to understand that, that we live under the protection of the Almighty. Now, here's the caveat. You know one was cabin. Here, coming. Here's the caveat. The caveat is this. Just because we live in the protection of the Almighty doesn't mean that something difficult can happen to us. Um, you might remember the story of Jim Elliott. Um, Jim Elliott uh, was about 20-some-odd years old. He and four of his buds were missionaries in Ecuador, and they were trying to reach a tribe of headhunters. Doesn't that sound challenging? You think your life is hard, okay? So they answered God's call, and they go to Ecuador, and they're going to try to reach this tribe of headhunters. Um, they get on a beach, and all four of them are savagely killed. They're savagely murdered. Okay. Now, here's now the world, the secular world said, what a tragedy. What a tragedy that these five young men with all the potential before them died. And yet, you know what happened? Thousands of young people gave their life to Jesus Christ because of their death. They, they saw the challenge and the opportunity that God gave. And even if it meant 
to, to lose their lives, it was worth it. Well, Jim Elliott's uh, wife is named Elizabeth. And she later on wrote a book that was entitled In the Shadow of the Most High. In the Shadow of the Most High. Based on that scripture. And here's what John Piper says about Elizabeth Elliot. John Piper says, Elizabeth Elliot was utterly convinced, totally convinced, that the refuge of the people of God is not a refuge from suffering and death. See, that messes with us. That messes with us. Because we think if God's on our side, we're not going to suffer. If God's on our side, I mean, he loves us, doesn't he? If, if God's on our side, difficult things are going to happen. If, if God's on our side, you know, hard things are not going to come our way. Well, Elizabeth Elliot, who just lost her husband in this tragic, savage murder, says, I'm convinced that the people of God is not a refuge from suffering and death, but a refuge from final and ultimate defeat. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. See, we're all confused. We, we think that heaven's here. Well, look at me. Heaven's not here. Heaven's coming. And this is a short while. It happens a long, long, long while. A long while. So don't become discouraged when things don't go your way and your path is difficult. And don't say, well, God, you've forsaken me. Where's my refuge? Your refuge is in Christ now. Listen, I do believe this. I do believe this. You know, as long as the child of God is in the will of God and God wills that that person be protected and alive, he's saved. But God's will does not always include that. Many a good missionary have lost their lives in the field. Not because God was on, on, on vacation in Florida. Not because God was mad at them. Not that God wasn't powerful enough. Not that God didn't neglect. It was just the purpose and will of God to bring glory to his name. Glory to his name. You know, that, this path may look like this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Paul says this. We are afflicted in every way. But we're not crushed. We're not crushed. We're afflicted, but we're not crushed. Um, We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. So so don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Every five days a week, I write, rest in Him. God's got this. Rest in Him. God's got this. We've been learning over the last weeks. God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. And he can. And he can. And we can rest in him. Because he does, in fact, have this. You know, Galatians 6, 9 says, Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. We will reap if we don't give up. So now is not a time to raise your hands and surrender unless you are surrendering to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not a time to quit. It's a time to keep pressing on and keep going. So with all of that, okay, there stands Elijah. 400 over here against him. 450 over here against him. And we don't know how many Israelites. We don't know. But all of them are kicking the dirt and going, hmm, yeah, whatever. Okay, there he stands. And here's what he says in verse 23. Again, speaking to the people. Let two bulls 
be given to us, us being Elijah and the four and fifty prophets of Baal. Let's, let two bulls be given to us. Um, they, the prophets of Baal, are to choose one bull for themselves, and they're cut in pieces and place it on the wood, but don't let the, light the fire. And by the way, I will then prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. And this is where it gets really dicey. You know, this is something that should have pierced their hearts, and it didn't. And, and you know what, Brent? It all pierced our hearts. Listen to this. Verse 24. Then you. Now, now there is no indication in Scripture, okay? Here he is talking to the people. There's no indication in Scripture that he now turns to 450 prophets of Baal and says, now you. Who's he still speaking to? The people. See, he, he knows the rule. To not speak is to speak. To not cite is to decide. And he says to the people... Then you call on the name of your God. Because what do you think? What do you think? You know, worship is a participant. It means everybody does it. Okay? Participatory or something like that. Okay? You know, everybody, everybody does it. Okay? So you think these guys are believing in Baal. So you think they're sitting there while they're, you know, they're calling on Baal going, Yay, Baal, go Baal! Yay, Baal, go Baal! You call on the name of your God. Okay? And I'll call on the name of the Lord. You know what all pierce our hearts? Is that these are the people of God. And the man of God looks at them and says, you call the name of your God, and it's not Jehovah, it's Baal. The switching of the pronouns is huge there. You know, he's not talking about, the, he's saying you, you, hey, Israelites, you, you call on the name of your God. Because your God is not Jehovah God. Your God is Baal. Well, all the people answered, well, they finally spoke, and what they say is just piercing also. That's fine. Can you hear them say that, Brent? That's fine. You know, you know what pops in my brain, Robin? Whatever. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just whatever. Okay? That's their answer. Here, here the prophet, the man of God says, now you worship Baal, cheer for him, pull for him. And it doesn't even pierce them. They pierce their hearts. You know, Patrick Morley said something. We read a book by Patrick Morley a long time ago. And he's a layman. He's not a preacher. He's a layman. He wrote Walking with Christ and the Details of Life. It's a great book. And he goes this. Um, there is a God we want. And let me tell you the God we want. The God most people want is a low-cost God. Okay? Um, a low-maintenance God. Okay, and a low-demand God. Yeah, yeah. Can I say those again? We want a low-cost, low-maintenance, and low-demand God. There is a God we want, and there is a God who is. And they are not the same God. They are not the same God. If you're looking for a low-risk, low-maintenance, low-demand, low-cost God, that is not Jehovah God. See, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The demands of the cross are huge. While Jesus Christ paid the price on a Roman cross for our sins, then he then calls us to a demanding life, a demanding life, a costly life to follow him. That cross wasn't cheap for Jesus, and the cross he demands that we pick up, take up our cross, is not a cheap cross either either. Well, 
in verse 25. So Elijah now finally speaks to the prophets of Baal. And one night, keep in mind, these are minor players. Because as I studied this, all right, as I studied this, I had a difficult time coming up with a lot of meat to give you from this section. You know why? They're minor players. I mean, it's a nice story, but they're minor players. Well, let's just look at it. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you know, since you are so numerous, all right, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call in the name of the Lord, of your God, sorry, call in the name of your God, but don't light the fire. Okay? Now, here's the deal. Why did he give them the advantage? Why did he say to the prophets of Baal, hey, one, you first. You first. Second, you choose what bull. Does one look better than the other? You choose. Why? Because he knew the outcome did not depend on the order of who went first, nor did it depend on the bull they chose. See, you remember Abraham? Abraham's looking there with Lot, his nephew, and says, Lot, you choose. Left or right? Well, well, how did Abraham know that, that Lot would choose right? You know, choose the, the other country, not the one that God had promised. Because he trusted God. He trusted God. God, you know, Lot was not in charge of that decision. God was in charge of that decision. So, you know, the bottom line is, you know, when you have creator God on your side, you can yield any advantage. You can yield any advantage. Okay? It doesn't matter because the greatest advantage is who? God. Come on, amen? God is the greatest advantage. He's the greatest advantage. Okay? So, we go on, we press on now to verse number 26. All right? So they took the bull, all right, and that he gave them. Or words, they said, we want that one. He let on, here you go, here's your bull, okay? So he gave them, he, they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us. You know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. But there was no sound, no one answered, and then they began to dance around the altar they had made. So, so Baal, hear us. Baal, hear us. Baal, hear us. And absolutely nothing happens. So they get into a frenzy and they start dancing wildly around the altar. Well, if you're taking notes this, this morning, write this down. All the passion, all the emotion, all the energy can't rouse a dead God. All the passion, all the energy cannot rouse a dead God. So here's the bottom line. Empty worship is only befitting an empty God. When we walk into this room, when we finally get, get back together and we worship, whether you're doing it this morning in your living room or wherever you are, you've got your family, where you take up my advice and let's start some house churches and get our 10 people together, whenever it is, don't you offer God empty, dead worship. Authentically worship the Lord God Almighty because that is what He's worthy of. That is what He is worthy of. Worship him because he is worthy. Now, this is just nothing but humorous. Elijah starts mocking them. Starts mocking them. Um, verse 27. So at noon, Elijah mocked them. Started making fun of them. You know, dirty talking. Trash, trash talking. Not dirty talking. Trash talking. <laughs> Get my words mixed up every once in a while. You know? um, he said, shout loudly for he's a God. Okay? Um, maybe he's thinking it over. In other words, maybe Baal's a little indecisive and he can't decide whether he wants to respond today or not. 
Um, um, maybe he's wandered away. Now, I love this. I, I, I don't preach this very often, but I love I get to tell the story. Back in the early days when the Living Bible, was, the, which was a paraphrase, by the way, not a translation came out. Um, boy, they took some heat. This is back in the 70s. And they took some heat because uh, Ken Taylor um, paraphrased this verse saying, maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Oh, and they just ate his lunch. They just tore him up. I had to be going to an independent Baptist church then. And, you know, they tear up anybody anyway, but they had him for lunch. Okay? But here's the funny part. Guess what the literal translation in the Hebrew is? Maybe he's relieving himself. The literal Hebrew. And, and Dave, you're going to like this. Of all the Bibles, okay, the New Living Translation still does it. I'm sorry, it does not. It does not. But guess what one translation says he's relieving himself? English Standard Version. They got it right. They got it right. No one else had the courage. No one else had the courage. We can't, we can't have potty talk in the Bible. You can if that's what Elijah said. You can. So he said, maybe he's relieving himself. Because <laughs> you got to remember, you know, David found Saul in the cave. And what was Saul doing in the cave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, potty talk. Yeah, he's doing it there. So maybe he's on the road. Maybe he's Willie Nelson on the road again. That's where he longs to be on the road again. Okay? Or, or maybe just perhaps he's sleeping. So, so Elijah's just trash-talking Baal. Okay? Well, that just gets him on fire more. In verse 28, they shouted loudly and they cut themselves, okay, with knives and spears according to their custom until blood just gushed out. That's the, that's the destructive power of false worship and false gods. You know, it reminded me of Mark chapter 5 where, where you know, Jesus lands on the shore in, in the land of the Gadarenes and the demon-possessed man comes and, and describing the demon-possessed man night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. The destructive power of worshiping a false god. Okay? Well, it goes on. You know, verse after verse of futility. Okay? Verse 29. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. Though there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. And it got quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. And it was time. It was time. In verse number 30, the first part, and I've titled these a certain way to help you grasp and keep the Worship theme. I call these authentic worship. Authentic worship is inclusive, but it rallies the people. It calls the people. In verse Kings 18, 30, the first part, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. They, they would probably, just like you know, a home team stays on the home side. And their home was with Baal. And Elijah looked at him and says, come over on this side. Come on this side. You know, worship's always be inclusive. Inclusive. It should draw people to Jesus. It should draw people to God. Worship. <laughs> worship is not about us. Amen. Worship is not about us. That's why when we say this music, that music, it's not about the music. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ. It's inclusive. It's all about Him. It draws people to Him. Okay? So, so, so we see authentic worship rallies to people. Come near to me. And so all the people then approached him. 
Okay. Then secondly, in verse 30, the second part, you know, authentic worship repairs the neglected. Repairs the neglected. Um, then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Now, apparently what happened was before, Baal, before Ahab led and his dad led Israel down this path, apparently Mount Carmel was a place to worship Jehovah. Okay, So there was an old altar there, and that old altar had been torn down. Had been torn down. The stones were laying in disarray. And what did Elijah do? He rebuilt the altar. I think it's time for the church to rebuild the altar. I think it's really time that we understand again the, the importance of worship, whether it be here or at your home like you're doing this morning. Whatever, however it may be, we've got to understand that we need to rebuild the altar of God. I, I'm so afraid we built altars of religion and we built altars of self and we built, you know, um, altars of my way or the highway. Okay? It's time to rebuild the altar of God. And, and how he does it's amazing. You know, it, you know, authentic worship reminds people of whose they are. Whose they are. Watch this, watch this. Elijah, there were some stones laying around there, okay, because the altars broke down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel be your name. So he's standing there, and, and this altar's laid and told this array, and he starts picking up some. And he doesn't pick up 13. He doesn't pick up 10, Trey. He picks up 12. Because it was purposeful that he pick up 12 to remind them who they were. Because trust me, they have forgot. You reckon the church is somehow... Mama T, do you think the church has forgot who we are? Have we forgot whose we are? Do we need maybe some stones of remembrance on our altar to remind us? Just like we have the cross to remind you. Why is the cross here, Dwayne? Why is the cross here? The cross is here to remind us what Jesus did for us. The price of faith. That's why it's there. The most valuable thing to me on this stage is that. Because it constantly reminds me that my Savior died. And that's why we do what we do. To get that message out. To a people who desperately need Jesus Christ. You know, I was down at Becca and John's last week. And about a year ago, I challenged you to do something. I said, I want to challenge you to go home and get a pile of rocks and put them in your yard. Remember that? Anybody remember that? Yeah, yeah. And so I said that. And then when your kids say, hey, Dad... Why are these rocks here? And you tell them, well, one day the pastor suggested that we put rocks here to remind us who we belong to and who we serve. Well, we were out, and Beck and John were playing some trees, and right smack dab in the middle there was a big old pile of rocks. And I said, Becca, I know what that is. That's your stones of remembrance. And she said, that's right, Dad. Don't you love when your kids listen to you? <laughs> Don't you love when your son-in-law you know, loves Jesus and listens to you? you know, we need stones of remembrance. And, wor- oh, 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 oh. and worship can be stones of remembrance. I mean, come on. Did you not hear what we sang about tonight? It just, it just flushed and filled my soul. You want to know the importance of worship? One of the other importance of worship is it's our stones of remembrance. It anchors us in what we believe and who we believe in. Jesus Christ. Well, amen. Shoot that thing. So he built an altar with his stones. And then authentic worship is reasonably experienced. 
And that sounds preachery. Okay? Look what it says in verse uh, 32, this, this, the second part. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. And I didn't, I read this in one of my commentaries that I trust. And what he was doing, um, David, he was running, he was drawing a line in the sand. He was marking off the holy ground. Marking off the holy ground. Okay? So, so authentic worship then sets boundaries of the holiness of God. Um, um, secondly, he arranged, the Bible says, he arranged the wood on the altar. So, so he set up and arranged the fuel for the sacrifice. And by the way, worship should fuel us. Worship should charge us up. And then Elijah cut the bull and placed it on the wood. He arranged the sacrifice. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, Let all things be done decently in order. However we worship and whatever we worship, not whatever, but how we worship and the way we worship, okay, has to be done decently and in order. De- Come on, somebody say amen. That's right, decently in order. See, we serve the God of the cosmos, but he's not a God of confusion. We serve the God of the cosmos, but he's not a God of confusion. And then authentic worship reveals deep faith. Deep faith. Uh, Verse 33, the second part. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And they said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And and the water ran all around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, let me tell you what he's not doing. What he's not doing is showboating. I mean, have you ever been in a worship service and somebody's showboating? Oh, yes, you have. Oh, yes, you have. Okay? So he's not showboating here. What he's doing is he's demonstrating deep faith. At the end of this experience, okay, he wants a couple things to happen. He, one of the things he wants to happen is he wants beyond doubt. Someone say beyond doubt. Okay, he, he wants to say beyond doubt that God is the God of Israel. You know, you know how people say, well, well, Jesus wasn't really dead. He was just in a coma. Really? Have you read the historical accounts of crucifixion? You, did, <laughs> you didn't leave the cross in a coma, bud. You were stone cold dead. He's removing all doubt. He don't want anybody saying, yeah, but he probably put lighter fluid on and that's why it flared up. You know, the sun was just right that day. And that, you know, no, he said, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pour water all over it. It's not showboating. He wants the, the people of Israel to know that there is a God in Israel and it's not Baal, it is Jehovah. But it's also a statement of faith for him. He's saying, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. I know my God can pull it. Hey, listen to this. Listen to Isaiah 43, 2. I heard that. <laughs> 43, 2. Listen to this. Listen. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Elijah's came in the promise. That, that God, Jehovah God, is greater and stronger enough. But now it comes time to pray. You've got to pray. It comes time to pray. Look, look, at, look at verse 36. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice. Now this is coincidental. I thought about going further with this, but maybe we'll do that another time. 
But the evening sacrifice time was what time? Anybody know? Three o'clock. Three o'clock. What happened at three o'clock later? Later is Eli, Eli, the back the nine. He cried out, it is finished, and he yielded his spirit. How interesting that, that hundreds of years later, the Son of God would be the ultimate sacrifice. At three o'clock in the afternoon. Somebody say amen. At three o'clock in the afternoon. So it came time for the evening sacrifice. It was no accident. It wasn't coincidental. Okay? At the time of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Now this this is prayer. I know we all get wrapped up about Elijah praying for the rain to stop, and it did, and, and so but this is the prayer. Listen to this. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel today. Now I like that. He takes the God of the past and brings it into the God of the present, who then makes him the God of the future. Okay, I love this. I love this. Listen, you know what we got to do? There's too many people have got God in the past. Well, he was there, but he didn't stay there. God doesn't know time, Robin. God does not know time. He's timeless. Okay? So Elijah says he's the God of, he reminds them, the God of, 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 of Jacob and Isaac. Okay? But he brings them up into the future today. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today, today, let something be known. Number one, let it be known that you are God in Israel. It's not Baal. It's God Almighty, Jehovah God. Number two, that I am your servant. It's not, it's not Ahab. Ahab's not your servant. Let the people know that the leader of the country is not the one leading them back to God. It's, it's I am your servant. I am here, Father, I am serving so, so, you know, God in Israel is not Baal. The, the man of God is not Ahab. It's Elijah. And that your word, at your word, I have done all these things. Not my words, Lord, but your words. See, it's all about God. It's all about God. Lord, let this be known. And then, listen, it gets stronger. Look at verse 37. Answer me. I, I mean, I wish I could convey the passion. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And you might say something like, and where did he learn to pray like that? I got the answer. Remember Zarephath? Have you come here to kill my son? Well, get him here. And I'm still telling you, Elijah did not know what he's going to do when he got upstairs, but he knew it was going to involve, it was going to involve God in prayer. He knew that. He gets up there. And go back and read that prayer. It is nothing but pure passion. Passion. So isn't it funny? Now, now he didn't know what he was going to pray on that day with, with the prophets of Baal. Okay? But he learned how to pray right. He prayed with truth. He prayed with power. He prayed with authority. He prayed in the name of God. He prayed in the name of God. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so this people will know that you. you. See, it wasn't about Elijah. He he said, you know, that, that, you know, that um, I'm something special. He said, you're something special. They made a, you, the Lord, our God, and you have turned their bar, their hearts back. Yeah, I love Acts chapter 4, verse 29. I love it. You know, Peter and John's got arrested. They're back there and they're having a little prayer meeting, you know. And I love because, because of the way they pray. Look how they pray. This is just one fragment of it. The people say, and now, Lord... Consider their threats. We can say that now. Now, God, you know what's going on in our government. 
You know what, Lord? You, you know we want to have church. And they're saying we can't have church. You know, Lord. You know, consider the threats. You know that. And grant that your servants may whine and complain. Oh, is that? It doesn't say that? And grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. All boldness. This is the time not to whine and complain. This is the time to speak the word of God with boldness. That the people in our community will know who we belong to. That we belong to God. I love Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in God, all of a sudden your prayer life becomes so much more alive. Because you're praying, you know, God's will be done. Well, authentic worship garners a godly response. And boy, does God respond. Look at verse 38. So, then the Lord's fire fell. The Lord's fire fell. And it consumed, it consumed the burnt offering. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones. It consumed the dust. And then it licked up the water that was in the trench. I'm telling you what, when, when God's fire falls, it consumes everything. I mean, we need to say, God, consume us. God, let your glory fall. See, this is a great prayer for revival. God, let your glory fall and consume us. And by the way, when God consumes us, then we'll quit being God consumers and God servers. Whoa. Whoa, where'd that come from? It's the truth. It's the truth. Well, finally he says this. 1 Kings 18.39 When all the people saw it. It. When they saw the epic failure of the prophets of Baal. When they saw the epic failure of the cheerleaders, Ezra. When they saw Mr. Ahab cowering over somewhere in the corner. When they saw the boldness of Elijah, bold enough to give them the advantage and not worrying about the outcome. When they saw how Elijah led authentic worship. When they saw and heard his prayer. And when they saw the response of God. It was then they fell face down and said. The Lord he is God. The Lord he is God. Well. We can say what we want to. But we're in a hot mess. We're just in a hot mess. And I got a feeling we'd probably do good this morning to study the scripture a lot. Because God is in control. God's in charge. And God's got a way he's going to work. And we need to find out what he's doing and get behind him because God always wins. God always wins. So this morning as you're watching, I want to encourage you. First off, I, I didn't mention the cross a lot, but I mentioned it some today. But, you know, we serve Jehovah God, and that relationship is possible because His Son, Jesus Christ, died on a Roman cross. And we were guilty, we were sinners, and the Bible clearly says there's nothing we could do about that. But God did do something about us. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. And we'd love to tell you more about that. And I've been giving my phone number out. I'm glad to do it this morning also. Uh, 618-499-0070. And if you're watching on Facebook, maybe you'll make a note right there and say, hey, would you please contact me this week? And if you'll leave your email or your phone number, we'll be glad to contact you. Because, you know, what it's all about is we want you to know the same Jesus we know. You know, we're not madly in love with religion, and we're not madly in love with church. Well, we are learning to be madly in love with Jesus. 
Okay? So, so we want to give you that invitation. And, and, and church family, don't be discouraged. You know, maybe the most important thing you heard was about house churches. Maybe that might be the answer to your isolation right now. And as far as I can tell, you'd be totally legal. Now, you have to maybe sit on the other side of the room and all that mess. But, but the bottom line is we can have house churches. Maybe that's an answer you needed today. But the real answer is making sure that's all about Jesus. That's all about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very, boy, thank you very much for this privilege this morning of sharing uh, this great truth. I thank you, God, for it. You are amazing. You're amazing. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to speak to the hearts of people. Father, whether it's this morning or later on when this is posted on YouTube, I just simply want to ask, God, that you be made big, that you glorify your name, um, that you draw people to yourself. I pray for my church family this morning. I know so many are discouraged and they're frustrated over all this hot mess. Father, help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to understand and believe that though things seem out of control, Lord, that you, behind the scenes, you have not yielded your authority. You are still God. Help us to trust you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. But Dave.